0: Good morning. I am uh, glad you're here today on this uh, Labor Day weekend. I know a lot of people are uh, out of town traveling, and so I'm glad you're here and we uh, get to share together. I uh, just want to take a minute to introduce uh, Josh. Josh Metzger has been leading our worship this morning, and Josh is, uh, uh, his dad and I are really good friends. In fact, his dad, Jeff, has been here to speak once before, and uh, so Josh is hanging out with us for the weekend and uh, just did a great job this morning. I want to thank him for uh, being here and sharing with us this morning. I kind of blend right in with the flag, don't I? Yeah. If I had a blue face, I'd be lost, or a white face. Um, I, I uh, did a couple of things this week that I just uh, wanted to share with you. I, twice this week, I was uh, in the hospital visiting people from Crosspoint and just uh, had the, you know, the privilege to kind of share in what was going on in their lives and uh, pray around the hospital bed. And both times as I left the hospital this week, I thought, first of all, I thought, I, I just am so honored and privileged. To get to be a part of people's lives in situations like this. And so thank you uh, when you allow me to be part of that. And secondly, I just both times walked away reminded that I love you guys. And I love the people at Crosspoint. And I am so honored to be part of the family here. And it is such a cool thing to get to serve alongside you. And it is so much fun to watch how God works in all of our lives and how He is slowly but surely for those of us who have crossed the line of faith and placed our trust in Him he is transforming our lives into what he wants us to be and it is an honor and a privilege uh, to get to be part of that and to watch how god is doing that so thank you for that i just wanted to share that i uh, on tuesday i uh, worked at the election polls uh, a couple of our other of our staff members did that we just thought it was a way for us to be involved in our community and be out there serving and so uh, we worked in the at the polls and uh, it was an interesting experience uh, on a lot of levels uh, i noticed something people are very passionate. I mean, I knew this already, but it reminded me people are very passionate about politics. As a poll worker, you're not supposed to discuss any of the, you know, the candidates and that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you, during the time that I was there working with these other people, sometimes very subtly, sometimes when no one else was around, not so subtly, all of them had an opinion and all of them that I wanted to share it. And I think it's because we are just very passionate about politics. At least a lot of people are that way. Now, I know there's another group of people that they just can't wait for it to all be over and we can get back to regular life. You know, it's interesting to me and not surprising. The Bible is full of stories about political leaders and their advisors and the way that they led their countries. And from those stories, I think there are some great lessons that we can learn. And so today I realize on some level, all of us are Thinking about the upcoming election, and maybe you're still trying to decide, am I going to vote for Barack Obama or am I going to vote for John McCain? And we probably have some strong feelings for that. And so I thought it'd be interesting today to just kind of think about what kind of letter would we want to write to the next president? What kinds of things would God want to say to them? Now, I want to be really clear. It is not my desire or purpose in any way to try to push you towards a particular candidate this morning. I have no desire to push you towards a particular political party. I mean, that is, I'm just not interested in doing that, and I'd be in trouble legally if I tried to do that uh, from, from up here. But I, that's not my goal in any way, shape, or form. I just want us to look at a story in the Bible today, a story that maybe you've read before or maybe you've never read, because in this story there are some people who give some advice to a political leader. And I think the advice that they give to this political leader would be some important advice for whoever our next president is to have. And so I want to draw out some principles from this story today, and then I think there are some particular truths that I think God would try to communicate to the next leader of our country, whoever that may end up being. Now, the story is found in uh, Daniel chapter 4, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, we're going to read quite a bit of this story today. Uh, Daniel's a little bit of a difficult book to find. If you go kind of the middle of your Bible, Psalms and Proverbs, and then keep going to the right, you'll go past Ezekiel, And uh, then you'll find Daniel in there, and uh, we're going to look at that story. Let me kind of set the background for the story so you kind of get a picture of what's going on here. It happens in about 580 B.C. And some people would call this time period sort of a a parenthesis in the actions of God because it seems during this time, if you were just living on the earth, that God was pretty quiet. Almost it would have seemed kind of withdrawn, not really doing a whole lot. Now, the Babylonians, uh, this story involves King Nebuchadnezzar who ruled over the Babylonians. They had a god named Marduk. And if you would have asked people in their culture who the, the powerful god of their day was, they would have said, well, it's Marduk. Because the Babylonians, and in their view of things, their god Marduk was conquering all of these other territories. And so, as they would have seen things, they would have said, well, our god Marduk is the most powerful god. Now, we know that's not true, but that was their perspective. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant leader. And one of the things that made him a brilliant leader was that he didn't do the ordinary things when they captured other uh, territories. When they would go in to capture other territories, rather than you know like burning everything down and tearing it up and killing everyone, he would go into a territory and he would find the best and the brightest, the smartest people, and he'd bring them back to Babylon. And he didn't just make them slaves. Ultimately, a lot of these people who were the smartest and the brightest from other countries, he placed around him as advisors because he didn't care what their background was, what their nationality was. He just wanted to surround himself with the smartest, the sharpest, the brightest leaders, which, by the way, as a side note, is a great leadership principle. So all this is happening in what would today be known as modern-day Iraq. In fact, Saddam Hussein's goal was to try to recreate the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, to try to have the same territory that he would rule over that Nebuchadnezzar did. Now, we all know, though, that for him, that didn't go so well. But uh, that was his goal. So here's what happens in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has this uh, dream, and it rocks his world, this dream. And he has trouble understanding what it's all about. So Daniel chapter four, beginning of verse four, uh, in his very own words, here's what Nebuchadnezzar says happens to him. He says, "I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented, and prosperous." And he was—that's probably an understatement. He was incredibly prosperous at this time. He says, "I had a dream that made me afraid." He has this dream. And here's how the dream kind of goes. He sees in his dream this massive tree that rises up out of the ground and grows to almost touch the sky. It is filled with abundance of leaves and fruit. It's it's a magnificent tree. The birds rest in the branches of the trees. Many animals gather and, and rest underneath the tree. But then as the dream continues, this messenger who appears to be from heaven comes along and commands that the tree be cut down, the stump and the roots left in the ground. And as the tree is cut down, the birds fly away, the animals scatter. And then in his dream, he becomes this, this animal-like creature. And he lives with the animals and he takes on feathers and he eats like animals do. And it is this incredible thing. And in the dream... There is a messenger that says this in verse 17, says this to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most sovereign is, that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. Now this is, this is quite a proclamation to make to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because if you would have asked King Nebuchadnezzar, he would have said, I am the Most High. <laughs> After all, I'm the one that's been going around defeating all of these other territories. I am the Most High. But as the story continues, he, he wakes up and he's trying to figure out what is going on. What does this dream mean? So he calls some of his smartest advisors in and tells them the dream and, and they don't know what it means. So he calls for Daniel, who is a Hebrew boy that was one of those People that was captured from another country and because he was a smart, sharp guy was brought in as an advisor for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to Daniel, here's this dream. What does it, what does it mean? What am I supposed to, to make of this? And Daniel, I think probably with some fear, understands what the dream means and says to, to Nebuchadnezzar, "I I wish I could tell you this was a dream about one of your enemies, but the truth is this dream is about you. And he says this in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. Now again, that terminology, the Most High, is great. Because you see, in the culture of the Babylonians, they believed that their god, Marduk, as well as the gods of all of the nations around them were real. It was a very pluralistic way to look at things. They believed all of these gods were real. And so when Daniel says to him, the Most High, and when the messenger says the Most High, he is saying there is a God that is above all of these other gods. Notice that Daniel doesn't say, my God, the only God. Again, it's because of that culture around them that said we believe in all of these gods. And Daniel says, I have a message from you that comes from the God who is the Most High. There is a God who reigns sovereign over all of the kingdoms Verse 25 says this, "...you, Nebuchadnezzar, will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven." Seven times. Now, scholars aren't sure if that means seven years, seven seasons. It's a passage of time of some kind of which there will be seven of them. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone He wishes. Daniel says, Your kingdom will be restored to you, Nebuchadnezzar, when you get to the point that you understand heaven rules, not you. When you get to the point, Nebuchadnezzar, that you begin to acknowledge that there is the Most High God, and that the Most High God is the One that is sovereign over all of the kingdoms of the earth, then your kingdom will be restored. Now you know what? That is a huge blow to Nebuchadnezzar's ego. It's a a huge challenge to his leadership. And it probably could have put Daniel in a lot of trouble. Now the conversation continues and Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way if you would be willing to repent, if you would change your ways, if you would admit it is not all about you, if you would recognize that you are accountable to God, if you would realize that you rule over all this territory only because God has allowed you, if you would change the way you treat people, if you treat them with justice, if you would have concern for the poor, if you would change the way you think, Nebuchadnezzar, then none of this would have to happen. But Nebuchadnezzar chooses to disregard Daniel's words and to just ignore that the dream ever happened. Then here's what happens in verse 29. Twelve months later, a whole year has passed, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, now listen to these words, Is not this the great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence by My mighty power and for the glory of My majesty? Verse 31, the words were still on His lips. These words of great pride, these words that were so egotistical, these words that said, look what I've done, while they were still on His lips, when a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, Your royal authority has been taken away from you. Now God says, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? I'm going to take it. And Nebuchadnezzar might have wanted to protest. Wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to take it? It's mine. I'm the one that conquered. I am the one that created this kingdom. I'm the one that did it. And God says, no. No, you've got it wrong. I gave it to you. And I can take it away. And Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with one of the most powerful leadership principles there probably has ever been. And the principle is this. Leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary and we are accountable for what we do with it. Leadership is a stewardship. And men and women who are given the privilege of leadership at any level need to understand that they didn't do anything to earn it themselves. It was given to them by God. It is temporary. He can take it away whenever He wants. And we are accountable always for what we do when given that position. Which means they are accountable to God. Now listen to what happens in verse 32. You will be driven away from people and will live like the wild animals You will eat grass like cattle seven times. Again, there's that time frame. Will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone He wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the drew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He is driven away. His kingdom is taken away from him. And then this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar... I'm sorry, let me tell you. He, so it's taken away from him. And he is driven away. Verse 35 then says this, "...all of the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done?" In other words, no one can question God. And God wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand, I am taking your kingdom away because you think it's all about you. And when you're ready to acknowledge that I am the most sovereign God ruling over all of the nations, then you can have your kingdom back. Verse 36 says, At that same time, my sanity was restored and my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom my advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Verse 37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in his pride he is able to humble. So God sends Nebuchadnezzar away. He has this terrible experience. They think he is absolutely a crazy man. I would imagine that his advisors tried to keep this secret for a long time. They I'm sure they did the whole Oh, he's not available today. You know, he's he's under the weather. Maybe you can meet with him in a few weeks. Oh, I'm sorry, he can't meet with you today. But over this time, while he spends these seven time periods, however long it is, dealing with this horrible thing of of being like an animal, God gets his attention. And at some point along the way, he gets to that point where he is ready to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all the nations. And then his kingdom is restored. Now here's the interesting thing that happens as history rolls forth. Nebuchadnezzar gives up his throne several years later. He gives it up to his son who, for whatever reason, only rules for a short period of time and just doesn't want to be king. And so he passes the throne on to his son, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson also rules with great authority and great power and a lot of ego. And the story actually repeats itself where things get so bad that God has to get his attention and there is a a, literally a hand that writes on the wall. In fact, if you ever hear the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall, it comes from this story in Daniel chapter 5. And there is a hand that writes on the wall and... Nebuchadnezzar's grandson doesn't understand what it means and so he calls for his advisors and they can't figure it out and so they call for Daniel who by this time is getting quite old and maybe they had to go and get him from the king's advisor's retirement home. And he brings Daniel in and he says, what does all this mean? And Daniel explains it to him and then listen to what Daniel says in chapter 5, verse 18. He says, O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar. Now father is the way in their culture they would have referred to their grandfather. O King, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples of the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, He was disposed from the royal throne and stripped of His glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And His body was drenched in the dew of heaven until, until He acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets them over anyone He wishes. History has repeated itself And Daniel recounts this story of Nebuchadnezzar to his grandson so that he will realize, look what happened to your grandpa. Because he thought leadership was all about him. He thought it was all about what he had accomplished. And he lost sight of the fact that it is the Most High God who is sovereign over the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, here is the principle that I think underlies this story and I think it is the principle that God would want to communicate to our next president. Leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary and we are accountable always for how we handle that. And based on that principle, that leadership is a stewardship, I think there are five things that God would want us to say to our next president. Five things that if we were writing our next president a letter, here's the five things based on that principle that I think God would want us to communicate. Based on the idea that leadership is a stewardship, first, I think He'd want us to say to the next president, lead with a humble heart. Lead with a humble heart. It's not all about you. God does not place you in this position He doesn't give you this opportunity so that you can build a name for yourself. It is not all about you. People are not there for your sake. You are there for the sake of people. You are there to serve them. It is not all about you. Lead with a humble heart. Secondly, I think God would have us say to our next president, you are accountable. You are accountable. And you are not just accountable to the American people nor to the Congress of the United States. You ultimately are accountable to God for how you lead. Do what is right in the eyes of God. You will consult with world leaders, but we hope that you would take time to regularly consult with the Creator of this world. You are accountable. And while it may seem that you want to be accountable the people, you be accountable to God. Because He's the one that gave you this role of leadership. Because leadership is a stewardship. And you are accountable. Third, lead us. Don't try to please us. Lead us. Don't try to please us. Don't be driven by focus groups and the latest poll of approval. You Be driven by what is right. Character matters. Do the right thing. Would you please lead us to be the kind of nation that would be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to have our priorities in order the way God would want us to have them in order? Please lead us. Don't just try to please us. Number four, Lead with moral authority. You know, there is a difference between positional authority and moral authority. Positional authority is that authority that we get simply because we have an office or a title. And it holds some sway over people. But the greater authority is moral authority. And moral authority comes when people respect us. Moral authority comes when what we say is And what we claim to be lines up with what we actually do. It's again about character and about doing the right thing. And so we would say to the next president, would you please lead not just with positional authority, but would you lead with moral authority? Would you do the right things? Would you do the things that you say that you're going to do? If you make promises now, would you ultimately do what you say you are going to do. And you know what? Someone who leads with moral authority, when he gets to the end of his term, we may not agree with everything that he has done, but we'll respect the fact that you at least did what you said that you were going to do and what you said and what you claimed to be ended up being who you really are. And we can respect that kind of leadership. Finally, honor the Most High God. Honor the Most High God. Would you remember, Mr. President, that it is God who sets leaders in authority and that it is the Most High God who is sovereign over all of the kingdoms of the world? And we say to the President, Mr. President, our desire would be that you would regularly have a passion to grow to know God more deeply. That you would regularly pursue knowing who God is, and knowing Him more deeply. And you would constantly live with an attitude that it is the Most High God that you seek to please. That it is the Most High God that you are listening to. That it is the Most High God who has placed you in this role. Because leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary. And we are accountable. You know what the truth is? These leadership principles... They work for all of us no matter where we may lead. And the same things that we might say to the next president, whoever that may be, are the same things that we ought to take to heart when we lead, whether it be at home or in our job or in whatever leadership role God may place us in. These principles also apply to us. And they are principles that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way because he began to think it was all about me look at what I've done and the reality is it was about what God had allowed him to do would you pray with me God I pray that you would give wisdom to whoever may lead our country in the coming years God would you help them to understand whoever it may be that leadership is a stewardship and that ultimately God they will be accountable to you And I pray, God, that whoever will lead our country, that You would already be at work in their heart, that there would be a growing desire in their life to know You, to know You deeply, to pursue You, to passionately be Your follower. And God, I pray that they would have an understanding, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, that You are the sovereign God and that You are the one who rules over all of the nations. And whatever power they may have is temporary. And they will be accountable to You. God, I pray that You'd raise up that kind of leader, not only for our country, but in every sphere of our world that we are a part of. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.